Well, good morning. My name's Mark, and I'm the pastor here at Union Church, and what a joy it is together with you and to worship our great God with you this morning. Today, we are going to be continuing in Mark chapter 6. We'll be in verses 14 through 29 today. So listen now to God's word to us today. Mark writes this. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work within him. Others said, he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put into prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths, and his dinner guests, he didn't want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came And they took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Father God, we do thank you for this day to gather in your name and in your presence as a family of faith. And we pray that by your spirit, you would press your teachings and your word deep into our hearts this day. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, who indeed is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Well, kind of an interesting text today, right? But it's what Mark has for us next, which is today. So we're just jumping into it. And the first place I want to start in this text is to look at the bigger picture, the larger context of where we find this. And, and if you remember from last week, Jesus sent his disciples out for the first time to do ministry on their own. He empowered them to kind of go on their own mission trip two by two. And if you remember, Mark tells us in in verse 12 that they went out, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil those who were sick and healed them. And then we pick up the story today. In verse 14, and and it says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And then we kind of leave behind this story about Jesus and his disciples going on their mission trip, and we begin a story about King Herod and about John the Baptist. And it's kind of a weird episode where we don't even hear anything explicitly about Jesus in, in, uh, in this pericope today, but we're going to take a look at this and try to figure out why Mark does that. So verse 14, to, to kind of return to that, verse 14 um, says, King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why these uh, miraculous powers are at work within him. So, so right there, right from the beginning, this is one of the reasons that Mark is writing about this, this episode or this story, because there had been rumors that Jesus was just John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Mark wants to put those rumors to bed and to affirm that Jesus is different than John the Baptist and that John the Baptist has not been raised from the dead um, in in the way that Jesus will be raised. Um, So so this is Mark establishing from the beginning that John is the forerunner. John is there to point to Jesus, but he is not Jesus. And then the text continues in verse 15, and it um, it says, Others said... Uh, This is Elijah. Others claimed he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. And so this is, is again, giving us a little foretaste. Because in a few weeks, we're going to learn more about this in the story of the transfiguration. Uh, So it's a little teaser. Jesus is like Elijah, but he's not Elijah. And then in verse 16, um, we we go on, it says, Herod heard about this, and, uh, and he said, John whom I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had been given orders to have John arrested. He had bound him. He had put him into prison. And he did this because of his wife Herodias, uh, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. So we're going to pause here, and we're going to take a quick look at history. Herod was the Jewish ruler in the region, put in place by by the the Roman authorities. 
And this is Herod Antipas. And, and as we are about to see, Herod, this, he is not a good guy. So his father, Herod Antipas, his father was Herod the Great. And Herod the Great is the one we read about in the beginning of Luke's gospel. He's the Herod who killed all the babies in Jerusalem trying to go after baby Jesus. And so the Herod we're talking about today is one of Herod the Great's sons. And, and so we read that this Herod, Herod Antipas, he's arrested John the Baptist. Now, why did he do that? Why did he arrest John the Baptist? Well, he arrested John the Baptist for the sake of his wife named Herodias. So verse 19 goes on and tells us, Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill John, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected John. So, so Herod, or, or so John the Baptist, John the Baptist had called out some bad behavior on account of Herod and Herodias. And Herodias is furious and she wants John dead. But Herod is worried. John the Baptist has a reputation. John the Baptist has followers. Herod is nervous about maintaining power, about maintaining his authority. And so he's reluctant to kill John outright. So he just puts him into prison and keeps him locked up. Now, what is this that John called out that got Herodias so angry? Well, this is right from the study Bible notes. And it says, here's what happened. Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, one of the sons of Herod the Great. Other sons of Herod the Great included Herod Antipas, that's the one we're talking about today, and Herod Philip, both of different, they're born of different mothers. After, after marrying her half-uncle Herod Philip, Herodias left him for an adulterous relationship with his brother, Herod Antipas. Such were the loose morals, typical of the Herodian dynasty, against which John the Baptist preached. Okay? So there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of incest going on there. There is a lot of adultery going on there. People are sleeping with their nieces, and their nieces are married to their brother. And it's kind of crazy, and honestly, it's kind of gross. And John the Baptist thinks so too, and so he calls this out publicly, and Herodias feels threatened, and she feels wronged, and well, basically, she wants John gone. The text then tells us in verse 20, it says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, but he liked to listen to him. So Herod is not quite sure what to make of John the Baptist, right? He doesn't quite understand everything John's teaching, but he's sort of fascinated by what John says and does. But one thing Herod does know 
as he knows that his wife, Herodias, who used to be his sister-in-law, who is also his niece, wants John dead. But because he's kind of fascinated with John, he doesn't want to kill John. So he just keeps him, he just kind of keeps him locked up. Then verse 21 says, uh, finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave himself a big banquet. He invited his high officials, his military commanders, the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter, uh, and, and when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. I would ask for like a million wishes, right? You could just keep asking, but it's neither here nor there. So one of the things Mark is doing here is Mark is beginning to draw a very distinct line between what the kingdom of Herod looks like and what the kingdom of God looks like, right? He's contrasting these things. The kingdom of Herod is a kingdom of loose morals, put it mildly. Not only is there adultery and incest and all of that happening in this family, but also Herod throws this party, this banquet, and who should be the entertainment but his stepdaughter, a girl. One commentary puts it this way, on any reading Herod's vulgarity here is perverse. He commits adultery with his brother's wife, also his niece, and here he's throwing a party where the center of attention is a young girl dancing for older men. So this is, I mean, this is sinful, and this is wrong, and this is in very sharp contrast to Jesus' kingdom, where the weak and the lowly are given names, and they are cared for, and they are loved, which, which you know, compared to the kingdom of Herod, here we've got this, this young girl who's kind of seen as an object of sexual desire, dancing for these men in power. Now again, back to verse 22, this girl, his stepdaughter, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Um, The king said to the girl, ask me for anything that you want and I'll give it to you. And then he kind of doubles down and, and and he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So it's kind of interesting. Herod is actually a Roman vassal. I mean, he's a king, but he doesn't really have the authority to give away half his kingdom. But he's had too much to drink. He's feeling very happy. He's trying to impress his guests. And so he makes this promise that he's not even able to keep. I mean, if the girl even asked for this. Just again, kind of to look at history, after 
Herod's father's death, after Herod the Great's death, the Romans divided his kingdom into three parts. He had three sons, and so they divided his kingdom into three parts, and each son got a third of, of the kingdom. And so that's the, that's the kingdom that Herod Antipas has, is it's one-third of his father's kingdom. And, and, it's, and, and he is a king, and he does have authority, but his authority is tempered because it is under the authority of, of, of Rome. And so it's not really his to, to even give away. Anyway, Herod makes this extravagant offer to the girl, but she's young, and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to ask for, and so verse 21 says, she went out, and she said to her mother, what shall I ask for? And her mother answered, the head of John the Baptist. At once, the girl hurried to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now, this is the same word we see in Mark a lot, immediately, you know, basically, I want you to give me immediately the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now, the king is kind of stuck. He's between a rock and a hard place, right? He's made this big promise between, you know, before his court, before all of his honored guests, that he's going to give this girl anything she asks for. And now she comes and she asks for the head of John the Baptist. <clears throat> and he's left with what seems like no choice. Verse 20, 26, verse 26 says, the king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So all of a sudden, Herod is worried about doing the right thing, about having integrity here, right? About keeping his word. Um, and, and that's the thing with a, a kingdom like Herod's, right? It's interested in maintaining power and authority at all costs, it's interested in maintaining prestige, worried about what people might think. And that's in contrast to the kingdom of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't come to grasp power. Jesus didn't come to be served. In fact, he says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, right? Jesus is willing to say the hard things, even if it makes him unpopular. Now back to John's head. Asking for John's head to be served up on a platter. I mean, this means, I mean, Herodias, she, she wants to make sure everybody knows. You know, she's been upset with John the Baptist, and she wants everybody to know and to confirm and to see that this man who crossed her, that he is dead. And so we just see that the perversity of this dinner party just continues here with this kind of gross presentation. And then the last three verses, verse 27. Herod immediately, there's that word again, Herod immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man went, beheaded John in the prison, and he presented 
Uh, and then, then he brought back the head on a platter and he presented it to the girl and then she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. <clears throat> so this last verse, verse 29, it's, it seems to me, maybe to you as well, like a, a bit of foreshadowing, right? About this body being laid in a tomb, executed by those who feared him and feared his righteousness. And so we see John the Baptist, even in his death, he is, he is living out his life's purpose, which was to be a forerunner to Jesus and to point to Jesus. Now, we've gone through this verse by verse. We've seen a few key points in this text. We've made a few historic notes. And now I'd like to spend our last few minutes making a few comparisons. And I think this is what, I think this is what Mark is up to here in giving us this account. He wants us to compare and to contrast the kingdom of Herod against the kingdom of Jesus. Right? He wants us to see the difference of what Herod's court and kingdom looks like versus what Jesus' kingdom looks like. And one of those distinctions, I think one of the ways we can compare and contrast this is to look at the ways that Herod and Jesus treat their daughters. So if you remember, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we had the text where the woman um, had this bleeding disease for 12 years and she touched Jesus and she was healed and and then Jesus hears her story and he talks to her and, and if you remember what he called her he called her daughter right he called her daughter and and so um, we're going to look at how Herod treats his daughters you know his stepdaughter and then how Jesus treats his daughters if you will so so to compare and contrast that um, Jesus Jesus he treated that woman, his daughter, he treated her with compassion, whereas Herod treats his daughter with manipulation. Jesus honors his daughter. He patiently hears her story, while Herod's daughter is an object of sexual desire, dancing for these older men. Jesus gives his daughter value and he restores her humanity whereas Herod seeks to control his daughter. With Jesus' daughter, he breaks the oppressive system in which she, has been, in which she is held captive to while Herod keeps his daughter in an oppressive system where she is controlled both by Herod and by her mother. And so you see, Jesus treats his daughters markedly differently than the way that Herod treats his daughter. And so from that, we see that the, the kingdom of God stands in stark contrast to the kingdom of Herod. God's kingdom brings healing, whereas Herod's kingdom destroys Jesus' kingdom gives value where Herod's kingdom degrades. 
Jesus' kingdom restores life. Remember, we saw that also a few weeks ago where Jesus, um, where Jesus attended to Jairus' daughter and she was sick and then she died and Jesus literally raised her from death to life. So Jesus' kingdom restores life quite literally while Herod's kingdom destroys life as we see John the Baptist's life destroyed. In Jesus' kingdom, healing happens immediately. In Herod's kingdom, death happens immediately. The one is a kingdom that brings life and wholeness, a a holistic healing, body, mind, and spirit. But in the kingdom of Herod, we see all of those things are broken down. Now, friends, we live in a world that looks an awful lot like Herod's kingdom. A world that robs people of their value, that manipulates and controls people, that seeks to keep the lowly in their place. And still to this day, it stands in sharp contrast to the kingdom of Jesus, which brings life and healing and wholeness. And friends, we also live in an in-between time The Bible tells us that Jesus' kingdom is at hand, yet it's not yet fully consummated. And so as followers of Jesus, we are those who are are looking, we're looking for those places where Jesus' kingdom is advancing, and we bear witness to it, right? We see those moments, we see those instances, we see those glimmers of hope and life where the kingdom of God is breaking into our world that's dominated by the kingdom of Herod, and and we can bear witness to that. Look here. Look at this. Look at what God's kingdom is doing. And on the flip side, we do our best, like John the Baptist, to call out, to call out the perversity of the kingdom of Herod even today. So, Here's what I'd like to to invite you to consider today. Consider, where does your life, where does my life, where does your life look a little bit like the kingdom of Herod more than the kingdom of God? And where do you see the kingdom of Herod or what looks like the kingdom of Herod at work? in our world today, and more so, what can we as followers of Jesus do to bear witness to the light, to bear witness to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in our world? What can we do to to bear witness to God's kingdom in the midst of a world that looks a lot like Herod's? And how can we be salt and light and bring hope and life in the midst of this reality. It's just something for us all to think about for our own lives of faith today. To God be the glory.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we do thank you for your word for this time, this strange story, but I do pray that it will point us to the distinctiveness and to the wonder of your kingdom as it breaks into our world, a world dominated by Herod's kingdom. And I pray that we would be salt and light and be, be a people who bring hope and life even in that darkness. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.